Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 57 The Blue Robe With a burst of joyous energy, I leapt forward, laughing like an idiot. And like an idiot, I was suddenly wrenched backwards. I fell my backside, my right arm pulled awkwardly behind me. I twisted round and saw the scarlet ribbon that spilled from the slit in my right hand was wrapped tightly round a thin branch inside the tunnel I was trying to leave. I looked back at that hollow of light and hope and was touched with the desperate madness that the shackled prisoner suffers when his goaler places a bowl of fresh water before him but refuses to loosen the chains that keep him pinned to the wall. I tugged and I jerked and cursed and pleaded but my scarlet shackle kept me bound to the thorns of the harrowing hedge and ever separated from my wife's blue robe. I turned again and bit savagely at the thick and fleshy rope but it was as tough as an umbilical cord. No matter how hard I chewed and worried it, it would not tear. As my head shook from side to side, blood spilled from my torn scalp smearing my mouth, hands and that awful unbreakable ribbon. Wiping the blood from my eyes, I looked once more at the cruel thorns that filled the tunnel I had climbed up through. I stared and stared as the blood dripped and dripped and my mouth became clotted with the hot tang of copper and salt and suddenly a solution came to me. What my teeth and my madness could not achieve, surely one of those vicious blades could. I stepped back into the thorn-filled passage and looked upwards. In the middle of the jagged mesh of barbs and spikes above me projected one particularly long and fearful thorn. I gripped the scarlet ribbon between my two hands and reached up to that dreadful blade. I doubted if I would succeed in my task, but I braced myself, prepared to expend every last ounce of energy to split the cord on the thorn. But such was the thorn's sharpness that the ribbon snapped in an instant, and it was all I could do to stop myself falling against the wooden shrapnel and scimitars of the tunnel wall. I stood for a moment, recalibrating my balance. Before me the ribbon on the branch changed from scarlet to pink to grey, then crumbled to dust. I looked at my hand and saw that not only had the little shred of ribbon there vanished, but the scar on my hand was changing. The lips of the wound came together, puckered, almost like a kiss, and vanished. The other dreadful slashes and tears that marred my body likewise began to seal up, shrink and fade. I was healing. All over my body, I could feel a faint tingle as torn skin and paired muscle knitted together. Yet my joy was tempered by doubt. With every wound that disappeared, the sense of being observed intensified. 
The low chuckle or laughter echoed through the harrowing hedge. I could feel the amusement and satisfaction of my watcher. I knew suddenly I had to reach the blue robe before all my wounds vanished. As I scrambled into the tunnel, my skin's tingling stopped. I inhaled with delight until my horror discovered that no air came into my mouth. Another horror attended this, for suddenly gravity too vanished. Only five feet from me, the light pulsed and blurred, and there still resting in the blear and beat of its radiance was the blue robe. Yet I was as helpless as a diver trapped in an aquatic cave, his oxygen line torn in pain and panic bursting into his lungs and brain. But I did not give in to the panic. I did not give in to the pain. Focusing on the smear of blue before me, I dragged and pulled and pushed my weightless, clumsy, slipping and bouncing body along that tunnel. Only five feet, I told myself. Only five feet. But with every exertion, my mouth gulped for air and swallowed vacuum. And every inch one only weakened me and strengthened the grip of horror. But I refused to be defeated. Numa was my watchword and my talisman. Over and over in my head I spoke my wife's name, the sound and the resonance of it echoing in my brain and my heart and my soul. Numa, Numa, until finally I tumbled into the hollow's light. My eyesight was failing, but I could still make out the blue fabric. My limbs were numb and difficult to manipulate. Yet somehow I managed to kneel down beside the scrap of cloth. With cold and aching fingers, I finally grasped the material. I knew in the moment I touched it that I had failed utterly. The fabric I held was not the smooth and rich material of a noblewoman. It was coarse and cheap. Indeed, as I rubbed it between my aching fingers, I realised it was not even the cheapest kind of cloth. It was a fragment of one of those covers that are found in the poorest of peasant houses. A thin mat woven from dyed straw that serves as cheap carpet or wall hanging. I had been tricked but surely even this cruel joke must hold a clue. I tried to think, but my head pounded, my mouth spasmed open and shut, and blackness blotched the light around me. Starved of oxygen, my body was shutting down, preparing for death. I gripped the scrap of blue mat, refusing to accept that I had failed, that I was destined to become part of this foul plant, or else return to Melchorisha's realm as a permanent resident. And what of Numa? I began to tear the straw apart, desperate to find out one more clue. But my strength failed me. My head pulsed with flashes of blackness and brightness. My heart banged and battered at my ribs like a condemned man on the bars of his cage. And then the fear and the pain were gone. I was dying. There was not something to fear or to fight. I had heard this somewhere before, of how the mind shuts down all pain and anxiety, 
to make our passing over easy and replace his fear with final comforting memories. I waited then for the memories death would bring to me, the few happy moments of my childhood or perhaps the tender and sacred moments that Numa and I once shared. I waited, resigned, and sure enough through the blackness I glimpsed the shape of a slender arm and a round soft breast. I felt myself held, the arm around me, the breast against my cheek. I looked up, but the face I saw above mine was not that of Numa or of my mother, and the breast I leaned against had a gash at the top of it, out of which spilled a thin red ribbon. Whatever creature held me, I knew it was not an angel, but one more monstrosity sent to add more torment and torture to me. Panic shivered inside my gut. I was conscious again of the agony in my oxygen-starved body. Gripping the cheap blue scrap, I tried to shake off this uninvited visitation, but the being gripped the blue straw mat. You must let go, it said. Please, Your Excellency, let it go. It was then I recognised the voice and the face. It was Talav, come to rescue me. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Marcus Marcus and Hurting Heart. We're almost at the end of the story. Not quite. There's a few chapters yet to go. What's going to happen? You'll find out by staying tuned. Thanks for listening. And please pass the word on to your family, your friends and your ancient enemies. Rate and review the podcast. That's how we get more folk listening. Pass the word. And you can support the show by donating the price of a coffee to my coffee fund. The details are in the episode notes. And mind, look after yourselves. Look after those around you. Take advice. Do all the things you need to do to help us through this pandemic. And be kind to everybody else. And stay tuned for the next episode of Marcus Marcus and the Hurting Heart.